following is a production of Word Alive Creative Arts. Welcome to the podcast of Word Alive International Outreach in Oxford, Alabama, an apostolic center for transformation and freedom. We pray today that you will be blessed and strengthened by this powerful message. I love this place, and, and we yield to Kent. Uh, we just, um, it's just amazing. I don't, you know, I don't know how to, to tell you that, that it's um, how amazing this place has been in our lives. It's ju- it just has. Uh, and so I, when Kent did talk to me, and we, we talked on the phone, and really felt the Lord, and it uh, felt like I needed to come and, and share a word, and not just uh, preach a sermon or, you know, see old friends, but to really... Uh, um, be a part of what the Lord's trying to do here today and in this season and not just, you know what I mean, not just have a, <clears throat> I could have some sermons and stuff or come up here and show you an awesome Bible study or some revelation or uh, I'm trying to find out exactly what the Lord wants to say and do in this moment and, and to prepare along those lines to, to take people from really from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, from from from, from uh, a place of captivity to a place of absolute overwhelming joy and freedom. And I feel like the theme today, and I didn't even, uh, it kind of the Lord put the pieces together, which he does all the time. When we were, I didn't make the set list. You know, me and Davey worked together to pick out the songs we wanted to do. And when I was putting the message together, it wasn't on my mind necessarily uh, about a theme or what to do uh, uh, as far as those things go. But the Lord knew. That he wanted to brag on the Holy Spirit today. That he wanted us to be mindful of the Holy Ghost, of his presence in our life. Of the power, the transforming power of anointing and an encounter with an almighty God. And that's what happened. And I didn't know when Kent talked to me that Rodney Howard Brown was going to be here tonight. But what better, it's like the Lord just waiting, you know, he says, wait till you find out who's going to be there. You know, he just can't wait. And I get this feeling, and, and it's like the Lord's going to give this big punctua- punctuation mark tonight with, this, with the, the media. It's not just about a guy's name, but it's about a guy who's willing to do anything for the presence of God. And that's what, what's going to happen tonight. And, and he, it's not about uh, who it is, but it is about who it is because he is just crazy enough to do whatever it takes for you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit tonight. So my job right now is to preach and teach a revelation from the Lord that's going to encourage you and open your spirit, man, tonight for a radical reformation. Why would I do anything different? Why would I try to recreate or rebuild something that the Lord is trying to build up in you? And I want to stand in agreement, and I thank God that he gave me a word that's going to help you do that and not just some other sermon. I was talking to Ken, and I love to watch... uh, you know, documentaries and stuff, and there, uh, I don't know how many of you watch like the BBC Life series where they have the nature programs. There's been a, a few that have been on recently in the last few years that are amazing and shows along those lines about technologies and information. I'm just fascinated by it, mostly because it's better than what's on, you know, the regular uh, channels. And uh, we don't have regular channels anymore. Like at my house, I don't, I can't, uh, I got a few places where I can turn stuff on and make it work, but when I was a kid, you had like channel three, six, and nine. But they don't have that anymore. It's, it looks like my apps and everything, so i got to navigate all that. And um, I was watching this program, and it was talking about mathematical, uh, mathematical order of operations. 
And I don't know how many of you remember this from school days, but in mathematics, there's a thing called order of operations. And there's an acronym for it, PEDMAS, P-E-D-M-A-S, and it's six steps to get the math equation solved in the right order. What's in parentheses comes first, exponential values come next, right? Then division, then multiplication, then addition, then subtraction. You do them in that order. And so what it does is it makes mathematics a universal language for one, and it also uh, it gives you the ability to solve really long, complex problems that at first sight seem like you could never figure it out. But by having the order of operations, you're able to dissect what seems to be a large, unsolvable problem and break it into pieces that you can manage and solve correctly. What happens if you don't follow the order of operations correctly in mathematics is you could do the exponential values correctly, you could do the subtraction correctly, but if it's in the wrong order, then your answer will be wrong. You could do everything right in the wrong order and turn out wrong. See, that when Kent talks about a season for this, a season for that, in this season you need to this, it's not, it's not just material, it's not just, right, it's not just something to do. It's the Lord is saying, I have an order of operations. See, you, you may have a great idea. Man, Kent, why don't we, you, we should do this. We, why don't we, pre we should preach that. Why don't you ever preach on this? Why, why aren't we, and in your life, you may, and we have these situations where we have great ideas that just don't seem to work and fit at the time because the Lord is seasonal. Seed time and harvest, he operates in cycles and, 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 and timings and trust. And, and, and this, when Kent says it's a season for us to do a certain thing, then I would have my ears perked up because this is the time where I can do the right thing at the right time and get the right result where I have momentum from heaven coming my way, where I, where I just take 10 steps, but the Holy Spirit wind blows me 100 steps forward. Bless you. So a good place to look at God's order of operations, we don't get too serious, I mean, come on now, is in Genesis. If you want to look at what to do first, the Genesis story is a great place to look. And I'm trying not to... Uh, I, I have too many notes and way too many sermons, and I just pray that I can make one point to you. And not just, I don't want to go through notes, right? Just to go through them. I want the Lord to, to say what he wants to say. So I may skimp around or look around a little bit, but we're, we're going to kind of move by the Holy Ghost to touch rather than just keeping you here for me to read through my notes. Can I get amen? amen. Oh, you didn't have to be that loud. Good grief. Just a quiet amen would have been fine. <laughs> so we look in Genesis, and <clears throat> what's happened is our faith is under attack, and our faith has had the wind knocked out of it and the legs cut off of it uh, because of the first three or four chapters of Genesis. Academia, uh, university campuses, scholarship around our country has uh, methodically for the last 30 or 40 years made a joke out of the first four or five chapters of Genesis. A college fresh freshman shows up on campus, loses their faith in about 48 hours, and it's been happening for four decades. God didn't intend for Genesis to be a joke. It's the story of how to do things in the beginning. And, and uh, I think we're going to see, and we're seeing it in other ways, and this is one of the bunny trails I'm going to fight to not go down, but uh, we're going to see uh, the answers in Genesis and the power of the creation story is no longer going to be something uh, that believers uh, have to try to explain away, but it's going to be something that people are going to be crying out for, tell me how to get with God. And we're going to say, listen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The power of in the beginning, God, is God's order of operations. That in the beginning of whatever is, God's involved. How many of you notice this? That if you get in some trouble financially or you get into trouble in a relationship, months or years later, you look back and there was a tiny window of opportunity where you could have done the right thing and you missed it and it, and, and it would have changed the whole outcome. In the beginning, God, we find God in all the beginnings. And it says God created. And, and listen, God's solution, when he shows up in your life, how about I put it this way? When God shows up in your life, let's talk, let's talk about tonight. So I want to have a God encounter. When God shows up in your life, how will I know it's him? How will I know what I'm feeling is him? How will I know what I'm doing is him? Because there's some manifestations that put people off that are weird, that are, uh, that are unusual, that put people off. I get it. Pentecostals, we've had to deal with that uh, over the years, that uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So how will I know? So listen, right in the beginning, the Lord could have written, actually the whole Bible, I'll show you in a minute, could have just been these first three verses. God tells us the whole story, how to do everything, the solution for all your problems. In the first three verses of Genesis, they just could have quit. But I feel like Moses, while he was writing, was like, uh, I need a law for the people. This is not what I had in mind, three sentences. And the Lord's like, okay, gives Moses like 600 and some laws. But if they'd have just stopped after these first three verses, it would have saved them all the trouble. It says, in the beginning, God created. This is how you'll know. When God shows up in these manifestations and in this encounter, it's not in the beginning, God rebuked. In the beginning, God removed. In the beginning, God chastised. In the beginning, God made you feel guilty and remorseful. In the beginning, God showed me the error of my ways. What leads you to repentance is the goodness of God. It's not the other way around. Order of operations is so important. You can get, do the right thing and repent without the goodness of God to no effect. I'm so sorry I did that. I'll never do it again. Knowing full well, you'll do it again. And in the beginning, God created. You'll know it's him because it's always creative. It's always creative. It says, in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. And it says, after that, the earth was dark and formless, void, empty, without anything. Now, this is a common misconception, possibly, that you think that God was just roaming around the universe and some galaxies and happened to bump into an unfinished solar system and thought, well, I'll be darned. Here's this unfinished situation. I could start with this and make it awesome. That in the reading of this text, you might get the feeling that God just stumbled on an empty void, an earth, dark, formless void that he could work with. And he said, well, let me show you how I can put light on this, how I can make it awesome. And this is just not true. Because before that, it says God created the heavens and the earth. So the dark, formless void and emptiness he started with, he created. He chose to start with darkness and chaos and emptiness. Those are God's preferred building blocks. How will God build perfect order and creation and life and light? Lord, I don't know what you can do with the mess I've made. God said, that's my specialty. You got darkness, emptiness, a void, a chasm, chaos, done and dusted. I got that figured out. Lord, God wasn't fixing somebody else's problem. He chose to create and start with chaos. There's powerful ministries that get this revelation, celebrate recovery, and, 
and other secular ministries and 12-step programs that work and function because they've shadowed Bible principles and written them into modern language, and they'll work, and they continue to work if you work them. Amen? Anybody work in a program? That's what I'm talking about. Work it. Work it. Work. Hey, you got to work, 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 work. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. It's like a builder that it's almost easier. I, I sh, we've been since the, since the storm, I've been doing a lot more electrical work than I used to do. Our church has some builders in it. We've gone to help folks after the hurricane and uh, help rebuild houses and whatever. And you show up to a job and maybe a neighbor or a cousin or a brother has been in there to help out with the wiring and help out with the floor. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. And you get there. Not only do you have to fix the storm damage, but you have to undo all of Brother Joe's help, helping that's against code and a fire hazard and, and do it in a way that doesn't hurt Joe's feelings or them. And you're like, been easier if Joe just hadn't been here at all. And I wonder how many times the Lord thinks that. He said, had you just left your life a mess and a wreck, how much easier it would have been than you trying to fix it all this time. Now, now i got to undo everything you tried to fix and restart over with the darkness and the chaos and the emptiness. See, that's the part God's not put off by. God's not put off by emptiness and darkness and voids and chasms. He chooses to start that way. Right at the beginning, he chose darkness. It's a, you're hearing it, but I don't know if you're hearing it all the way because I'll show you later, like verses in Revelation chapter 25 where there is no night. It's day all the time in heaven. But see, that's after the resurrection, after we're rejoined with Christ, a perfect bride. Revelation 25 is a different time. It's later, after we're reunited for eternity. 25, 6 says, no more crying, no pain, no tears, no suffering. That's not the place we're talking about. This is an early primordial uh, place where God is perfectly comfortable in total darkness. This, we don't serve a God who, who, who has to be around light all the time. And I'll let you run that out as, as you wish, those of you who love to do Bible studies. He says that he created the heavens and the earth. The earth was dark, formless, without. And then it says this, and this is the two points I want to give you today. And hopefully they'll morph into one by the end. And we'll, we'll let, get out here and have lunch and come back for Rodney. Are you coming back? Everybody coming back? Come on now. It's going to be amazing. This word's going to give you the courage for reformation. Reformation in your spirit, man. He said that the spirit of God, God said after that, the spirit hovered over the face of the deep. And waters covered the darkness. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. This is the first revelation I'll give you. Out of whatever dysfunction you have. This is what I'm talking about. I like, I like plain practical stuff. I need to know how to take the dysfunction I have and make it function. So we all live in, an, in some uh, manifestation or some amount of dysfunction. You've, what you've done is you've learned to uh, be, what's the word when someone's um, highly functional a highly functional, dis, d dysfunctional per person, highly functioning, dysfunctional person. So I've, I manage the amount of dysfunction right before total breakdown, and that's how I live my life. I've, I've found a way, and it's still, so there's still, you know, issues that, that the Lord's still wanting to deal with this and work with this and heal us and some things that are in the surface of the deep. See, we... 
the, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit over the surface of the deep. The first encounter and the first thing we have to have, the first thing that, that this reformation is going to call for, and the theme we've had this morning is an encounter with the Holy Spirit. To take dysfunction and chaos, absolutely. We, can, we all can relate to that. But the thing that gets people in trouble and they don't feel do, what they want to do or they are afraid to do it or they're afraid how they'll look doing it is encounter the Holy Spirit. But that is the next step. There's a lot of other next steps you could make out of your dysfunction and chaos in God's order of operations, but they're not his order. So here's what they might be. We, we recognize these programs identify your problem, right? The programs that are in our culture that work, they know step one is admit you have a problem, right? That's God's same order. In the beginning, God created chaos, darkness, emptiness, a void. God says, I admit, we've got a situation here. I need a functioning, highly ordered culture, civilization, solar system, and I don't have it, all right? So for all of us in this room, you can't, we, we can either be so pious that we don't have a problem that God needs to deal with, or it's so bad it can't be fixed, one or the other. But let me tell you, there's a higher level of victory everyone in here can live in. So wait, listen, listen to me, hold on. So this is described a few different ways. This is what's called hunger for God, thirsting for God. Getting a breakthrough, going to the next level, and whatever that might look like. But we've, we, all, we all need an encounter with the Holy Spirit to deal with some level of dysfunction to move in a more functioning capacity that God created you for. Because you're not going to operate in the full capacity until you're in heaven. Then we see him, we'll be like him. The perfect, that's why Jesus prayed, Lord, make them one as you and I are one. Because the perfect, it took the Jesus back to God, the creator, perfect order. And that's what's going to happen to you. Uh, uh, Revelation 25 talks about it after the trumpet sound. You're going to be restored. And when you see Christ, you will be like him. And you'll get to see what the perfect you could have been. What you could have operated in on this earth. And a matter of fact, they say that they're going to weigh, weigh up everything that happened. And what will burn up is the stuff that you operated in out of dysfunction. And what remains on that day will be the stuff that you operated in functioning with heaven and God and, and, and uh, perfect harmony. So that's what, what it is. We hunger and thirst. So what's it mean to be backslidden away from God sometimes is I, I just, I'm content here. I've got no more hunger, no more thirst. We get complacent. But God's order of operations is for you to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit first. That's what he does first, sends the power of the Holy Spirit over the earth. Because here's what's going to happen. I'll show you in just a minute. There's some things that are going to happen to you along your life with your relationship with God and reading God's word that you could be talked out of. Or that you could have your mind slightly changed on. There's some things in the Bible, some truth, revelation, some things. Well, we all live that way. There's th things I believed 15 or 20 years ago that I don't believe anymore. Some things I read in the Bible that I would have preached or thought or believed the way God felt, the way God uh, uh, felt about certain other people. Let's say me, me trying to uh, display God's personality, and I got it wrong. I was trying to reveal God's nature and the love of Christ and be a witness, and I was living in a revelation that wasn't fully right. There were errors in it. But God's so gracious, he's like, we can, we can work with that as long as you'll stay hungry and thirsty and chase after me. 
then we can fix these issues and you'll become more and more. And that's why you see these old time seasoned saints that they just don't get in every argument. You don't see prayer warrior grandma on Facebook complaining about anything. Beep boop. That was painful. Because she's, she's been through some revelation. She's had some Holy Ghost encounters that marked her for life. That prioritized things that gave her the proper order of operations. You just can't get her wound up over everything. Honey, I've seen too much. God's good. That's all they'll say. God's faithful. He's good. The order. They know the problem may look long and complicated. And matter of fact, I didn't even know it was math when you first showed it to me. It had Greek letters in it and everything. Come to find out it was a math problem. See, that's how our lives get. We get these huge problems handed to us. We just get overwhelmed. But what happens is these encounters. So you may be talked out of things along the way in your faith that you adamantly defended in the Bible. Some things that you adamantly believed or the church you used to go to that you totally stood for that now you're like, well, I could have been a little, I mean, Right? Not, not that your whole thing was changed, but the Lord's moving you. See, here's a great revelation on how, uh, what happens with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit came and just statically hung out over a dark place. It said the Lord sent the Spirit hovering and moving over the face of the deep. See, this is what, the way the Lord moves. When he sends his Holy Spirit, he hovers and he moves. That word hovering is the word uh, also used throughout the Bible for a mother eagle. When she kicks out her baby from the nest, that she hovers over it as it's plummeting to the ground. And if it's not going to fly, she'll swoop in and catch it at the last minute. When God was saying what his spirit, how his spirit moves over darkness, it's like the hovering of, a whole, of the Holy Spirit. It's like an eagle hovering over a fragile young bird that he's seemingly plummeting to the ground, but it's hovering over and it swoops it up. That's the encounter you need to have that... Holy Spirit. It's moving. It's hovering. It's not static. And, and you, here's some things you can't talk me out of. Now, see, here, here's what happens with these freshmen, the college fre- freshmen. They go there, and the biology teacher says, the earth's uh, 14 billion years old. And the student says, well, my pastor said the earth's 6,000 or 8,000 years old. So what that we, can, we just want to talk them out of that. And and, and that's a whole nother talk. But so that's an, that's an easy one. And as we go through the scriptures, you'll find other things that you believed in and maybe have a conversation with someone and be like, ah, you know what? Actually, you're right on that. I didn't know the full meaning of that or the understanding of it, and I was wrong. You can be talked out of that. Things I cannot be talked out of. When I was dating Heather, my wife Heather, and I was away from the Lord playing music and traveling, she was praying for me and interceding for me. We had been dating for a while and kind of broke up and weren't together at the time. And, and I had this, just a sick feeling that I was out of God's will. And I'd grown up in church and I just knew, it, I knew it wasn't right. I, I had a little revelation of, I got some chaos and darkness and emptiness. And I, I had that revelation. And so it was late one night and I used to, uh, I used to ride by Heather's house uh, when we were kind of bro- broke up. M- most of all, just to make sure there wasn't anybody else parked in the driveway. <laughs> Because it was a little, we were, you know, we dated for a long time and then we were in this little break kind of because it was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know at the time, but this is one of those areas where I was given a window to do the right thing. 
and I'm terrified right now because I didn't know it. I so I felt it's just dumb luck, but the Lord had his hand on me. I could have missed it that night. It was this little window where Luke could do the right thing. If I was sensitive to the Holy Ghost and did the right thing, it would change my whole life, give me destiny, purpose, a family. But how did I know one night and one decision? Good grief, what's happening? But these little windows where you had a chance to get it right, these these times. And I thought, this time I'm going to go up. If nobody was there, I just... I. To quit the playing music and told the guy, look, I'll play the rest of these dates with you. And I'm, I, I got it. I'm done with this and, and, and all that. He wasn't really a believer. He's a great guy and still is. And he, he understood. So I went over to Heather's house and just a, what I thought was a random night. And how many of you know there's just not a random night? And so I decide I'm going to go up and talk to her, knock on the door. And I, to be completely honest with you, all of my motivations were not spiritual. Uh, in all honesty... None of them possibly were spiritual. Uh, they, were, they were selfish, selfish motives. But the Lord knows how to get me to move. <laughs> he knows how to deal with me. He knows how to deal with me. I knocked on the door and, and him hauled around I, and said, you know what, I just began to tell my story. I quit the playing in the band. I just felt, you know, felt like, uh, wasn't a thing to do, wasn't any future in it really for me. And, you know, I didn't say, uh, oh, I th- I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to go back to church. I'm turn my life around. It was none of that. It was just this thing where I just felt this stirring for a new season, a new, I didn't know all that language, but I was sick of this thing and I knew there was another thing. Sometimes that's the, all the revelation you need. Whatever, wherever you're living at right now, I'm sick of this. Can't identify exactly why. This is sickening. I'm ready to go over to that thing. See, breakthrough, next level season. We've named them all these things, but let's get real. I cannot get up another day and do what I'm doing. And wherever that looks, however that looks, crying out to God inside. See, my spirit man was saying all that because he was smart. My spirit man deep inside was saying all the right. He knew. He was guiding me, leading me. Knocked on the door. Heather answered the door. We talked for a long time and early 20s, you know, 21 or two, and, or 20 maybe, and flirty and, and, and uh, coy, and, but also wanting to keep your cool and not be the one to put yourself out there too much, you know, just absolute symphony of, uh, of emotion and just a whole play going on, a courtship and how it is with young love that just, you notice every eyebrow raise and you're so aware of every, when they did move their hand from here to here, that, that's what I'm talking about. Right? Come on, somebody's been married a while. Say, my God, give it back to me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. That's what I'm talking about. Give me my marriage back. What if you could have those days back? Now you come out, your whole head shaved. Your wife didn't know for two days. I shaved my head. Oh, that's amazing. Looks great, honey. Awesome. See, back then on the porch, I noticed every little, you know. So I was was highly tuned in, like a sniper. I mean, hair trigger. I was ready. I, I was super zoned in for my... It was an older house that we ended up buying to be our first house. She was renting it from her grandmother, and her grandmother sold it to us. We remodeled it. And it was one of these old houses where when the mailman came, he came all the way up to the front door and delivered. The mailbox was nailed to, right by the front door. And they lift up a little panel, and they shove the mail in there, and they go on their way. So the mailbox was right by where, where we were standing. And this was in 96, 1996. And what I'm getting ready to tell you will make sense about it being 1996. 
she opened the mail just nonchalantly as we're standing there. And inside the mailbox, which she hadn't checked, and this is 10, 11 o'clock at night by now, is an unopened letter with the, her name handwritten on it, Heather Surratt, which was her last name. And in the address was from a church called Brownsville Assembly of God, Pensacola, Florida, was the return address. So I was aware of Pensacola because we lived in uh, central in Panhandle, Florida for a while. And, it, we, and the people from that area really hated that church. So we, we didn't hate it, but we were from a, had a church about 40 minutes from there. And it was like, my God, can we quit talking about Brownsville? Why don't we do what Brownsville's doing? Why don't we do what Brownsville's doing? And, and people that lived an hour or two away or nations away were like, you know, when you're right by it, sometimes you miss it. Because you get jealous, Right? You get, you get jealous or you get in competition and just ego and it gets weird. And we were right there by it and didn't really appreciate it till we left. So I knew a little bit about it. And by now we'd kind of, the music had been wildly popular and we started doing the music in church. We'd seen some videos and I was fully aware of who they were and the musicians. They got my attention because it was one of the first music videos I'd seen of worship where the players were good and the mix was good. Right, John? And what didn't make you want to vomit? I mean, up to then... You really had to just trust the Lord was going to give you a nugget out of it. Like when you played a worship CD. They were raw and poorly produced. There wasn't any money for production. Brownsville started to pour some money into, into the things that helped do all that. And the musicians were quality musicians and they were worshiping. And they were, and they were in love with God and really dialed in on their instrument. Or, you know, and it got my attention like, okay, all right, okay. So I was fully aware of that. She grabbed the letter, opened it. And inside was a picture they sent back to her that she had mailed them. And a handwritten letter from a worship leader at that church named Lyndall Cooley. And the letter said, Dear Heather, we put the picture you sent Luke on the altar. We anointed it with oil. And we've been praying for him and we're sitting it back to you. And just believe it. You know, it. It wasn't a super long letter, but it was a handwritten letter. He didn't have to do that. I mean, you could tell he'd been doing it probably all day for pictures and stuff. And, man, it just, that it was that night. It, you cannot talk me out of that. Good luck. Can't do it. Can't do it. You might can change my mind on some scriptures about what pants Isaiah wore. And I mean, God bless your heart. We're going to work that out. But there's, you cannot talk me out of a Holy Ghost encounter. When he marks you and touches you and meets you and greets you. You can't take it from me. You can't take it from me. You cannot take that from me. And me and Heather the other night, and we don't, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. We're not, it's not some hyper-spiritual, uh, this, <laughs> It's not some hyper-spiritual hyper household we have. It's just regular folks doing some stuff. You know what I'm talking about? We, it's not, we're just people living life, okay? That's all I'm going to say. So one night, and this was not super unusual, but we don't get too, I mean, you're trying to do your routine and have kids in school and making dinner. It's not like we're, you know, have uh, these times of worship where we all just anoint each other with oil. I mean, it's just people living life, right? So... But one night we got to talking because a lot of our friends who grew up in church and had kids our ages going off to college had lost their faith, had gotten cold and shallow and given up on God. 
And we got to talk, talking about why does that happen? They've heard the truth and they know the word and they've seen what God can do. And Heather said, it's because they never got marked. They never had an encounter they couldn't be talked out of. And they just got talked out of their faith. See, darkness and chaos and that, that, that we're going to have that. The Lord knows if you're going to really hang in there for the process to follow my order, what it's going to take to get you to function, you've got to have an encounter with the Holy Ghost that we can work with and build on that you'll never be shaken out of. When you're 100 years old, you'll be hanging on to it. All right. So we'll, I'll, I'll scooch. So we, um, this is it. No, I'm about to be the end point. And it, then if you keep going too long, it's not as good, and you could have ended on a high note. I hate when that happens. <laughs> no, I'm talking about can't. I missed that small window to end on a high note. So, but they say, remember back at that high note. Just think about that. Um, well, this is the last point. So just an encounter, just that encounter may be enough to, 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 to sustain you for the journey and, and hold on. But here's what God does next. There's only three steps to God's order of operations. Three steps. The Piedmas, the mathematic, perfect mathematical order of operations is six steps. P-E-D-M-A-S. Six is the number of man. It's man's solution to problems, this order of operations, mathematics. Mathematics generates in, in physics and engineering, solving all the world's problems with mathematics, technically our own understanding and thinking, mankind's uh, situation, six steps to solve all that. God says, I, I can do that in three. I see your six and I raise you three. Identify darkness, identify you have dysfunction, have hunger and thirst, right? Second, have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And the third verse says this. Then God said, let there be light. Then God said. Then God said. Then the word of God. If you don't read and take, and take in a word from God and hear preaching of the word and sit and hear from the word through the filter of the Holy Spirit, it's not the same. It's not what God intended it to be. You'll misinterpret it. It won't bring you life. It won't take you to the place of order and function. It, won't, it just won't do it. So what's happened is we got the order wrong. We've got whole groups of people, whole denominations, whole people groups that claim to be Christians that got the order of operations wrong. They went darkness and chaos, then the word, and then get filled with the spirit. Baloney. Oh, now, got, now, now we twisted your arm. What? The word of God is, even though it contains history, is not a history book. It's never, it's never been meant to be propped up as a history book. The word of God, even though it explains creative things and scientific things, it's not a science book. The word of God is not a, uh, a book of genealogies and family histories, although it does contain a lot of that. The word of God is sharper than two, any two-edged sword and can cut and divide. Listen, the word of God is a living, breathing organism. This is how you, this is, okay, settle down, Luke. This is why you have to have the spirit of God to read the word of God. Old saints, listen to me, and you know it. You can read the same scripture ten times, and it means ten different things because it is alive. It's alive. If you get the order wrong, if you read that word without the power of the Holy Spirit, you will manifest it in your own agenda your own political agenda, your own conviction, your own morality. It will become heresy. 
the greatest form, idolatry, just a misconception of God. That's the greatest form of idolatry there is. It's just a misconception of who God is because we interpret him without his spirit. It says the spirit covered the earth, and then God said, let there be light. And I also love this. God didn't complete this trifecta of order by cursing darkness. If you feel cursed and don't feel blessed and don't feel creative, I've got to wonder what's happening. God said, in the beginning, I'll create. And then he said, I'll allow, I'll let. He's going to heal you and, and, and give you provision and take you to this place you want to be, to this next, next level, whatever it is, by letting, th- letting some things happen. But mankind's the opposite. We want, if I just stop this, if I just stop that, if I just quit this, if they just quit that, God's saying, let, 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 let. It's a mindset. Letting light, not cursing darkness. I bind you, Satan. Well, God bless your heart. How about let there be light? There's a time for that, and I get it. I'm, I'm, that's all right. I get it. There's a season for that, but we're not talking about that part today. We're talking about finding the order, a systematic order in your life where what, you have to continually have these Holy Ghost encounters because here's what happens if you don't have the word. If you just have the feeling of the Holy Spirit all the time, here's, here's an important last few points. It hovers, the Spirit hovers over the surface, the surface of the deep. And the Word of God is trying, God's Word is trying to get deep in you to fix things. But the Spirit of God's just hovering, waiting on you, awaiting on the Word. See, there's the, a Holy Ghost experience. That experience on Heather's porch is not going to make me a man of God with character. That she needs to raise a family. But the word of God will. Great preaching will. Great teaching will. Instruct me. Guide me. See, the word of the spirit hovers. And when the word is covered in the spirit, like a sword, it goes deep to operate into the surface of the deep. Surface deep. You got, anybody got some deep stuff? Just some deep stuff we need healed and delivered. And I'm not... Well, encounters do feel good, and they do encourage, and they do bring joy, but, but the Lord's trying to get his word deep in you, deep in you. I'll end with this little uh, uh, twist. After he says, let there be light, he saw that it was good, and it says he divided day and night. Call one day, one evening. He divided day and night. In this original story, God's creative process, God chose to keep darkness. God chose to keep darkness. In this story, like when we get to Revelation chapter 25, Jesus is the light of the world. There's no, or the light of the heavens, no need for a sun because it will never be night. God's in this creative story and bringing mankind to the earth and bringing uh, order out of disorder. He chose to keep darkness. Why not just eliminate darkness? And just, we live in the light all the time, right out of the gate. He chose to keep it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, I've prayed three times for the Lord to take away the tempter, Satan, this messenger, the thorn in my flesh. Paul said that he had this issue, this thorn that he carried with him his whole life and that he never got delivered from, that he never got healed from. And that, that he prayed three times and God never took it. And you know what God said after that? He says that my grace is sufficient for you. 
That was God's comeback to why we have darkness in our life. My grace is sufficient for you. And then the next, it's a semicolon. It's not a new sentence. He says, for in your weakness, I'm made strong. And that can be misread, that in our weakness, we're strong. No. Paul says, in my weakness, God's made strong. He kept darkness. We, we sometimes, in this God's order of operations, when we come out with the outcome, the equal sign, we get the order, identify we have dysfunction, have an encounter with God, put God's word in our heart, equals, and we expect there to be no darkness at the end. I've got news for you while we're on this planet, living this life. Paul says, I've run. It's a fight. It's a journey. See, we're not trying to create some utopian Eden on this planet and make heaven of no effect. That was never God's intention. He chose to keep darkness in the outcome of your equation. But if you don't preach that, when people, when their daughter dies or ODs and they quit on God, there's darkness in my answer. When God doesn't answer the prayer, it doesn't happen, or they give up on God, or they quit, God says this to that mysterious question, my grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness, I'm made strong. That our equation in life is not going to always equal zero darkness. That even that God himself, he could have chosen to do that and didn't. And that he realizes we're going to go through some stuff, and we're going to have some stuff happen in our life, but... But, but we can be found and delivered and healed and restored being hungry and thirsty because how easy would it to be complacent with God if there was no darkness and just light all the time? Wasn't that Israel's story? If they, they always had trouble, then they turned to God. Always had trouble, turned to God, right? It's this process sometimes that we have to lean on and keep on depending on God. And we have to learn, old saints will tell you this, that they don't, Looking back, despise all that trouble. They just saw it as the times God was with them and sustained them and carried them. It becomes part of their character, part of their story, where God never gave up on me. Yeah, we went through some valleys, through some tough times. We had some rocky, and they, so they look back and see the Lord in all those situations. It's like a, it'd be like living your life like a spoiled child that always got everything they wanted, never had dark, never got told no, never were, had any discipline. The Bible says a good father is not a, a benevolent father. A good father is a father who disciplines with love. What kind of dad would God Almighty be if he, if he left darkness out of our equation? What kind of relationship is it where the person you're in relationship with just always says yes and okay? A child of, of, that with child of God, that people were living to be dependent and leaning on him and trusting him as a father who disciplines and chastises those he loves and he does love us. And, and sometimes that means things don't go great. But I'm, I'm learning how to trust and, and know that when things get great doesn't mean God's not in it. When things are bad or are not great, it doesn't necessarily mean God's not in it. it. It just means I have to trust the process and be easy to be found. I love that, uh, uh, that um, Paul said, or David says, I think it is, that uh, seek your servant. There's a great scripture where he says, I've gone astray. And we get that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. How many of you, how many of you can identify with being prone to wander? That we're built in to wander away and to move away and get away from God. And King David said, I'm prone to wander, just so you know. But he makes the most powerful prayer, three little sentences. He says, it's in Psalm 119, 176. He says, seek your servant. That's the prayer. That's what I'm encouraging you to do tonight. That's what I'm encouraging you to do just in these encounters. And for, is to never give up this attitude that David has to seek your servant. To always stay hungry. To always stay passionate. 
and trust God's process in our life. Don't get frustrated and upset. Things don't go wrong. Things are dark. Things are whatever. Listen, God is okay with dysfunction and darkness. Matter of fact, he put it in the equation. We pre- Listen, I'll preach overcome and healing, all the things. Those are powerful sermons. But every now and then, it's nice to have a sermon that says, even in my suffering and in my defeat, I'm still not giving up and quitting. I'm not. And, I'll, and this is, if you give me three minutes, there's things you can do in, to get these encounters like tonight. What's happening when you come tonight and have an open heart and an open mind is you get on God's radar to be found as a lost sheep. So, so these encounters that, that we're talking about having tonight, that we are prone to wander, but, how, but we can also be easy to be found. Are you easy to find or hard to find when you wander away from God? And I'll end, this is a crazy scripture, and it's two of them, and you can look them up later on your own time, and I can't work out the full meaning of it. Matthew chapter 18, there's a parable of the lost sheep. So everybody say lost sheep. In Matthew 18, a shepherd, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. What if a shepherd has 100 sheep? And he says, one of them wanders astray into the hills. Wouldn't that shepherd go look for it, and if he finds it, bring it back and celebrate more than the 99 that were left behind. In Luke 15, that parable is retold. And now I've looked at these words, and they're not the same words. You can research it. Jesus himself tells the story again slightly different. Jesus says, suppose a shepherd has 100 sheep, and he loses one of them. Wouldn't he go out and look for it? in the wilderness, and when he finds it, put it on his shoulders and bring it, rejoicing more than the 99 who stayed. Matthew 18 says, the sheep wandered away in the hills. And it says, if the shepherd finds it. If. I said, what are you talking about, if? Aren't you the good shepherd? I'm telling my Bible. And it's, it, it, if the shepherd. What are you talking about, if the shepherd? I go back to Luke. You know, Bible pages sound when you're frantic, flipping them. They're so thin. And in Luke, it says the shepherd loses it. It doesn't wander off. The shepherd loses it. And then it says when he finds it in the wilderness. When he finds it. I thought, Lord, what, what is it? He says, look, there's people that, that get away from the flock that I've, that I've let just get away. That I've just let ease away for their own good, really. They didn't know it. And he says, I always find them because they're easy to find. See, they're in the wilderness. It's the desert. That word wilderness is also uh, translated desert in other places, flat, arid. The sheep just kind of nonchalantly wandered off, just got lazy and bored and separated from the group just out of complacency. In the Matthew parable, he says, different. That sheep went astray on its own volition. The shepherd didn't lose it. In the Matthew version, the sheep wanders off. To the hills, different word, places to hide. Not a flat desert wilderness, the hills. There's places where the sheep just always stays right out of reach. And that, ver- that section that says, if he finds it, terrifying. I need to be, f- so there's things we can do to get on God's radar screen. To be found easier when we worship I lived, grew up in church, sometimes so away from God, but I find a way to worship, and God, all of a sudden, I send my worship up, and I can just imagine God saying, oh, there's Luke. 
There he is. I've let him wander away a little bit, but I, there he is. Things you can do. Give, offering, giving money to the ministry. Puts you on God's, God's radar. There they are. I don't know where they've been up to now, but I got them. There they are. Acts of service and kindness. Helping the poor. Puts you on God's radar. See, being a lost sheep, sometimes we, we, we walk away, get away, just always staying right out of God's, the shepherd in the hills, just staying where he just can't get to us, to, just can't find us. And, that, and see, that, that sheep says, if he find me, I want to be on God's radar. Tonight's a time where you can get on God's radar. Say, Lord, here I am. I need the Holy Spirit to come. I need an encounter. I need your word. I need transformation. I need revelation. I've got dysfunction. I need function. I've got places of bondage. I need breakthrough and freedom. I've got situations at home where we need, we need absolute revelation. We need God Almighty. We need to stay hungry and thirsty. And I'm telling you, every time, God will meet us and send us light to the dark places. Amen? This has been a presentation of Word Alive International Outreach, 122 Allendale Road, Oxford, Alabama. Reach us by phone at 256-831-5280 or at our website, wordalive.org. This has been a production of Word Alive Creative Arts.